come here the moon is calling for my asthma of putrid decay the witching hour draws near who dares touch these rotting bones and four degenerates are about to delve into cinema's most gruesome and bizarre films two at a time the mark of satan is upon late hours two movies Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Late Night Psychorama, where you will get two movies that have nothing to do with each other, a la the glory days of the drive-in. There will be spoilers, so if you do not want the movie spoiled for you, you should stop this and you should go watch them before you come back to us. Or if you don't care, then go right on ahead and listen. Tonight, we will be doing Curse of Frankenstein. More than a hundred years ago, in a mountain village in Switzerland, lived a man whose strange experiments with the dead have since become a legend. A legend that is still told with horror the world over. We've only just started, just opened the door. But now's the time to go through that door and find what lies beyond it. But don't you see, Paul? We've discovered the source of life itself, and we've used it to restore a creature that was dead. This is Frankenstein, who revolted against nature, who experimented with the devil and was forever cursed. His unwilling collaborator was Paul Kremp. I can't prove you that. But I can stop you using his brain. Why? He has no further use for it. Don't be a Be careful! You damn it! Only two women ever entered this house of evil. Elizabeth, come back! Elizabeth, the lovely cousin who had promised to marry him, and Justine, the maid, who kept passionate and secret rendezvous with her master. Won't you understand you're in real danger? What Victor is doing is dangerous to everyone in the house. Possibly conceive what dreadful thing he's planning to do. What are you trying to tell me, Paul? That Victor's wicked? Insane? Wicked? Insane? Evil? Call Frankenstein what you will. A demon had made a man-made monster. And now, the monster was the master. Paul! What are you going to do? For your sake and to protect Elizabeth, I've so far kept silent. But now I shall go to the authorities and have them destroy that creature and see that you pay for these atrocities. No! And we will be doing Asylum. terrifying form of evil is that which lurks within the human mind. <laughs> Asylum. The ultimate in horror. This is a, an asylum of the incurably insane. Asylum filled with stark raving terror. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. 
psycho. Asylum. The prison of madness where few enter and none return. See, Asylum, you have nothing to lose but your mind. I'm Joe. I'm Jonathan. I'm Ryan. And I'm Andrew. Does anybody... You know what I did? <laughs> um, my friend Dylan took me to a haunted attraction, and they had, like, the usual haunted attraction things. But they had another thing called the bloodshed, where you pay $10 to get tortured. The bloodshed. Yeah. I get it. And uh, I was like, okay, I'll do that. <laughs> So they get strapped in, and they shut you in the shed, and it's all black. And you're the only one there. Like, it's an individual experience. And then this hillbilly guy, like, faux tortures you for, like, 15 minutes. And Dylan got to watch via camera outside. (laughs) Um, It was really funny. Um, But it was kind of intense. I mean, they did, like, the whole thing with, like, fake blood. You know, like, he was, like, uh, he slashed me. Oh, wow. um, but, like, you know, he had the blood tube, and uh, he took a blowtorch, lit up the spoon until it was, like, orange, and then, quote-unquote, dropped it, and then picked it up again and put it on my cheek. Well, I mean, he swapped the spoons, obviously, but I was right. supposed to, like, freak out. that he was- Oh, he did the Punisher method yes, on yeah, you. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, Classic Punisher, always punishing people with that trick. And uh, Dylan was telling me, he's like, yeah, I'm just watching you get tortured, like, nonchalantly, like, watching you... T- and uh, this other family that was up because they wanted to know if their kids could do it were like watching with them. And I was getting quote unquote shocked by a car battery. And they're like, is that real? And Dylan was just like, yeah, yeah, of course it's real. <laughs> and that was it. And they're like, now, now he's getting waterboarded. Is that real? <laughs> Jonathan. Okay. So would you like to tell people about Curse of Frankenstein? All right. Uh, since you usually set us off doing this but you weren't ready i i am i'm gonna take <laughs> i'm gonna take the review of this movie by the tribune in england at its release what was 57 yes. character and story have faded into the background suspense and surprise simply do not exist plot has become a perfunctory filling in of time between each macabre set piece the logical development of this kind of thing is a peep show of freaks interspersed with visits to a torture chamber. It is a depressing and degrading thought for anyone who loves the cinema. <laughs> well, I guess I'd agree with that. All right, well, you suck. This <laughs> is a great movie. Ryan, tell us why yeah, you don't I, like course, this movie. Yeah, I knew this would be the naysayer. Besides my normal critique and criticism of pace issues and expository dialogue, I think this movie really suffered from a lack of budget. It seems to me they made it on the cheap. There are a lot of recycled sets, and the cast doesn't really grow larger than the small handful of people in the movie. Why is that a problem? Yeah, this is yeah. It because like in a, Frankenstein, yeah. I want to see some villagers storm some houses, and then I got to reading about it, and it turns out that everybody behind the production of the movie was very savvy in uh, 
the line production area of filmmaking, and they just knew that that would be a cost they didn't want to afford. Yeah, the well, movie. Hammer was like clinging to life at that point. Right. Were they? They were. They were not doing well. Basically, their switch to horror is kind of what saved the company, and then also overnight turned them into a thing synonymous with and then would also ultimately be their own undoing later. Yeah, that's really amazing. Right. Before they did this, they had done Quatermass, uh, the Quatermass Experiment. And it was a bit different from, because it's based off of a BBC serial. And theirs was a bit different because they added a little bit more gruesome bits to the, to the, for the movie. Nice. And that was kind of one of their things where they're like, wait a second. There might be something in that that's good for business. And the people that brought the idea of doing a Frankenstein movie was Max Rosenberg and Milton, I'm going to butcher this last name, Sabotsky, who are going to come up with the next movie. Yeah. But that that started. They kind of came up with the concept of doing it, and the hammer was like, "Uh, here's $5,000. Go away. Yeah. They They got bought off. Yeah. It's amazing that we could tackle two movies that have absolutely no reason being paired together well, and find this connection. We, we, we cheated this time. Both movies are from the same country. This, we, this we was in, this, yeah, was it yeah. intentional, this part? No. This no. Part. And this both was, have Peter Cushing. They no, both have Peter Cushing. Yeah. No, th- this was literally just John had a guilty conscience at the last minute that there wasn't a Frankenstein movie yeah. in our October lineup. <laughs> yeah. And I figure, and a Hammer movie. We hadn't done a Hammer movie, and I figure we might as well start with like the first horror Hammer film. Okay, so Joe, I don't want to keep harping on this movie, and I want to celebrate it for what I do recognize being good and what I do like in it. And I can see that this is the seed of something greater to come, mm-hmm. and I feel like from here things are only going to get better. The second one is a bit, or the second and third ones are a bit like... They're okay, but the... John is speaking specifically about the Frankenstein Yeah, of the Frankenstein movies. Okay, the Frankenstein franchise, which is my favorite of the Hammer franchise. I like the Dracula ones, too, but but the Frankenstein ones are my favorite. And um, (laughs) I think Peter Cushing's fantastic in it. I really like the idea of Frankenstein being a fucking shithead. Like, the ends justify a means nasty motherfucker. There's the famous quote, people with knowledge know that in Frankenstein, Frankenstein's monster is the monster, not Frankenstein. People with wisdom know that Frankenstein is the monster. And I think this movie kind of goes back to that, except for in a different way. Rather than like him, like, I haven't read the book. I know like the James Whale one, he's like obsessed with, you know, the universal one, I should say. Um, He's obsessed with it, but he's still like kind of like a nice guy. He just has this obsession. While this one... He's just this, like, he has no moral scruples to do anything whatsoever. I see what you mean. He's a sociopath, yeah. and he is using his wealth right. to just do this thing and, that he wants to and do. And it, it just it feels less like an adaptation of Frankenstein to me, and more like proto-reanimator. Uh, that's what the whole series feels like to me, especially... Uh, the, that's basically what it is. Right, and I think that's so fucking cool to watch these gorgeous, lush old campy horror movies with that kind of this kind of like mean streak reanimator kind of plot line going through them all. But the sequel is like Frankenstein created woman Frankenstein must be destroyed and Frankenstein and the monster from hell are all three of those flicks are fucking gold. That, that name is awesome. Which one? Frankenstein, the monster from hell. Yeah. Yeah. That's killer. 
I didn't like, I don't, I think I don't like period pieces as much as other genres of movies. And it's not that I don't like period pieces in general, because there are certainly modern films that are period pieces that I could watch and enjoy. But something like this movie, I think partially the ratings board in the UK forced Tamar's hand on making a slightly neutered movie where kills are off screen and they happen, you know, I mean, sparingly and they're really tied to the plot. But then when you do have the plot, you have these just rich assholes in their old-timey outfits talking We're about talking everything. We're talking like 19... This movie 57. is 1957. Right. This is pretty balls to the wall for 1957. There were creature features and things like that happening in the United States. None of time. them as gruesome as this movie. So what is the gruesome? Is it in the concept, in the, uh, it, it's, the subject matter? I think it's the it's how nasty and mean-spirited the main character is. Like That's the lead character. Right. Um, and he's a prick. He's yeah, not, yeah. He's, he's murderous. Not, right. Yeah. And he doesn't get any better. Right. It has a scene, which is like one of the coolest scenes in the movie, where he finds out his mistress is pregnant. Mm-hmm. And so he kills his real baby by feeding her to his artificial child, the Frankenstein's monster. Yeah. Which is like a... That was that my, one of my favorite moments. Yeah. And is a great like character trait, too. Like it You really can is. see who he really likes the most. And there's dismembered body parts all over the place. You but know, you never get to really see them. They're always you dismembered a, and off screen, mm, and like he'll like pick up something no, that's from off like, screen. That's more like the whole like husk of the body. I'm talking about. You get severed eyeballs. You get severed uh, hands and stuff like that. You, the movie starts with them cutting the fucking carcass down from a pole. Right. Which, <laughs> I think for 1957, this is definitely spearheading the, the Splatter movie. Speaking of that cutting the body off of the pole, they find a hanged man that they want to use for the body. And they cut him off the pole and they catch him in this cart that's tied to a horse. Right. And it startles the horse. Yeah. yeah. But I was they, wondering if that would happen. Oh, my. If I were to remake this movie or, like, <laughs> ape this movie and riff on it, I would use that. Yeah. And just, that cart, that horse would be startled and take off in the yeah, town. With a, and, and the two guys would have to go after that. <laughs> right, right. Cover funny. those tracks. I, I love the sets. I love how Hammer movies, like, the, the sets are, like, half clearly a movie set. Or, or actually all, like, clearly a movie set. And it just has, it gives it this, that Hammer atmosphere. So is this set kind of cheaper than later sets of yes, theirs? Yes, because this was... This movie was low, like really low budget, but it made them a lot of money, and, and then made their budgets got tons bigger. of money, and yeah. they invested a little bit more. But yeah, yeah I one. mean, I think the jump just from this to Horror of Dracula the next year is very apparent. Right? There's more than you know at one location. You know, and there's uh, lots of extras. Suddenly, all the in, yeah, in there's movies. yeah, there's more characters and such. This one was, the, I mean, you, this was like the the seed of the hammer horror genre. Frankenstein looked really cool. Yeah, he, he was he like mangled. Yeah, I like that disgusting face. <laughs> Wait, uh, Frankenstein's monster. monster. Yes. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. monster. I think he looks great. The creature. Yes, mm. Frankenstein. Yeah, the creature. I, I think he, that it's actually the most underrated Frankenstein design. Universal was watching over their shoulder while they made this movie. Not just the creature design, which was a big deal, not to ape the uh, Jack Pierce makeup right but also like the plot and stuff like that so that's why the movie's so different from the universal one so does anybody recall the name of the screenwriter that wrote the final product that we saw oh, was it was a jimmy sangster i think that's right yes yeah. yeah he he had admitted to have not well at least made a claim that he hadn't seen the universal m- movies at that 
point in time and was going strictly on his interpretation of the book. Right. But I also read a long time ago that the producer, Anthony Hines, his biggest contribution was to make Frankenstein the man despicable. Like that was their like main idea, like to really go with it. There's one thing he says to uh, the the maid that really like uh, I don't know hits that home when he's uh, she confronts him about uh, having a, or being pregnant, and he's like, "Why would you say that I'm the father? Just pick a man in town, and you'd probably be more right or something like that." Like it's like I feel like that's like a monstrous thing to say. Out of out of all the classic horror stars, from Boris Karloff, Bela Lugosi, Basil Rathbone, Vincent Price, uh, Christopher Lee. Peter Cushing is my favorite out of all of them. He plays, like, if you watch the Dracula movies, he plays Van Helsing really well, and he plays this charming, kind-hearted gentleman. Then you watch the Frankenstein movies, especially Frankenstein Must Be Destroyed. Right, where he just flips it completely. Yeah, he's just this, like, cadaverous-looking madman. And one of my favorite things about Peter Cushing is he has this physicality to him where, like, he's just calm, and then he just like flips into motion on a fucking dime. I guess uh, Wait, yeah, in, this, in this movie, in any movie, yeah. if you watch of him, I mean, he's like, so quick to strangle older. someone too, right? But like, there's one. It's my favorite. <laughs> he plays Sherlock Holmes in the Hounds of the Baskervilles, uh, the the Hammer version Hounds of the Baskervilles. And one scene, he's like explaining like how he's done his Sherlock Holmes deduction shit, and he's talking, he's talking, and then all of a sudden he shouts and picks up a knife and throws it onto the floor, and it's just like that like it's just all of a sudden out of, and it just made me fucking crack up like i rewound and watched it like 30 times he just does this burst of energy that comes out of nowhere he does it more in like the uh dracula movies because he's always running around more trying to fight dracula but he's got a, a good moment where he's he's acting like he's gonna go along with these people like he's gonna cooperate right, right, and then right. he just goes no and just fucking <laughs> bolts <laughs> And the the way that he does it is so abrupt that, like, if I was a person in the room, I would have been like, whoa. (laughs) Yeah, he just, like, all of a sudden just immediately, like, rushes. He he has speed and and agility. Um, My favorite, it's, like, the favorite shot in the Frankenstein movies is, it's when Frankenstein must be destroyed. It's the beginning, and, like, the drunk guy, like, the derelict, I think it's, like, a drunk. I can't remember. It's been a little while. Finds, like, his his underground lab, lab. Yeah, I think he's just drunk. I, right. I don't think he's And Frank and, and Peter Cushing's there, but he's wearing this, like, scary monster mask. And he, like, grapples with the guy to chase him out. And the guy, like, escapes. And Peter Cushing, like, runs right up to the camera and, like, rips this, like, scary mask off. And you mm-hmm. see Frankenstein. Right. And it's just, like, so speedy, so cool. It's like Peter Cushing could have done John Woo movies. <laughs> wow. I'm, I'm dead serious. And it was such Hot a cool take. And it And what's cool is, like... It's that symbolism where he rips off this monster mask and it's him. And it's sort of like he takes off this monster mask to reveal the real monster. Reinforcing that theme from earlier. Right, right, right. That's rad. I mean, I like that concept. That's the fun of a mad scientist. Yeah. That's actually how, how he tried to commit suicide. Ripping off his own face? No, by physicality. He tried to like run up and down the stairs so to give a, himself a heart attack. I can believe that. Because that's, that's really dark. I had no wow. idea that yeah, that when, happened. When his wife died, his his whole like life was just pretty much like right. done. People that, that knew him said that it wasn't that his personality necessarily changed, but after his wife died, like you could just tell like he was just kind of 
marking time. Like right. he just wasn't into the idea of living for the sake of living anymore. He, he even did an interview where he's like, yeah, I'm just like waiting until I die so I can meet my wife again. Damn. And he was even told the interview, you can put that. I don't care. Yeah. He had to do um, after right after she died. Christopher Lee had to talk him into doing Horror Express with him, so he could be around them and cheer him up. Have we told this story on the podcast before? Or have you just told me? I could story? have told you that. Yeah. I don't remember that. But it's uh, it's really sweet. He also had nyctophobia that he cured himself really by forcing himself to take walks after midnight. Mm, nice. What's nyctophobia? <laughs> Fear of the dark. Fear of the dark. Wow. Fear of the dark. It's when you have, have a constant fear. fear. <laughs> that something's always there. <laughs> um, yeah, he was a big bird watcher too. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, he was a very like he was just like this soft-hearted guy that could play fucking evil villains really yeah. well. I feel like that whole gang of dudes you just listed were probably really, really yeah. cool to work with and chill with. Right, I I believe so too. Especially when Bella Lugosi was high on his morphine, I bet you he was fucking. <laughs> there, there was a point where Boris Karloff, Christopher Lee, and Vincent Price were all living on the same street. Oh, that's really wild. And they would, I think it was like Sundays or something. They'd have like Sunday afternoons where they would like go hang out at somebody's yard. <laughs> that's actually how how um, how they ended up all being in Mario Bava movies because Boris Karloff. Right. worked with bava and then when he came back like he was like singing bava's praises so vincent price and christopher lee both were like really eager to work with him and christopher lee did a couple of movies with bava and like always really liked him and had a good time making movies with him and vincent price's experience was not the same he said he really? liked bava personally but the movie that he did with him which was like this sort of like weird what the hell's the name of it uh uh, Dr. Goldfoot and the Bikini Machine? Or was it the other one? It's Dr. Go- Goldfoot. Bikini it's like, Machine? So, it's a, like something with... with yeah. What? <laughs> something yeah. with bombs in the title. Oh, there's two of them, though. Yeah. Well, the one that, that he did, apparently, it was like a miserable experience for him. He was very annoyed by everything that was going on, so he never... He actually found himself on the factory floor operating the bikini machine, and he's like, I'm an actor. Yes. I could. They made to sign up for this. Damn. I did yes. not know Bava did those. He did one of them. Just one of them? Yeah, yeah, just one of them. Apparently, he wasn't happy about his experience doing it either. Wow. I would be... if. If I knew that like street existed with those three guys living there, I would demand to be going there on Halloween <laughs> and I'd probably be so disappointed that these like I'd have gothic castles of these like madmen giving me candy like in my head, and then they yeah. just have like just like normal houses, yeah, yeah, and them just like listening to soft jazz when they come to the door, <laughs> or probably just having their butler giving I, out candy. I don't remember where the quote is from, but I I remember reading a Christopher Lee quote where he was talking about him and and, and Cushing and their relationship, and he was like, yeah, he's like, we've done so many horror movies together that people probably just think Cushing and I live in a cave somewhere. <laughs> it would be cute to see them as like old men bachelors living together. In a sitcom style lifestyle, where <laughs> right, just, yeah. with know. with like gothic horror sensibilities around, that's gold. They have tea in the afternoon together. We're copywriting that right day. now. Nobody Hell take yeah. that. Vincent Price lived next to Ozzy Osbourne for a little bit, didn't he? That's rad. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> I can only imagine what that was like. When I was a kid, I went to Ozzy Osbourne's house uh, because I was like in California with my my family. Yeah. My cousin really wanted to do like. Uh, tour star houses you know you get these maps that let you know where celebrities live 
So we went to the Ozzy Osbourne house that they lived in while that show happened. I don't know if that's still their house, but I stood on his mailbox and saw their house. And it was pretty cool. They had a device in there. If you walk too close, it just shoots you with water. So that's, yeah. <laughs> that's fine. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah, you get close to their vents. It's like being at them. an Ozzy concert with the water buckets. They, they should have they just used Ozzy's bath water for it. I think that's what's in there. Yeah. And like the urine milked from his pants <laughs> after a concert. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, Andrew. What? How do you feel about Curse of Frankenstein? I uh, really enjoyed it. I thought it was fun. I actually didn't. I know, Ryan, you had mentioned early on something about the pacing of this movie. And for whatever reason, I didn't really see any problem with the pacing. I thought it was good. Well, yeah. I, what I meant there was outside of my usual critique is usually pacing oh, and stuff like that. Oh, okay. So you didn't have an issue with the pacing. Not necessarily the pacing or the story itself. It's yeah. just... I felt like... Um, it moved. Like, and it was yeah. a quick runtime. Well, I... When, the a, a little admission here like when i was watching this movie i was trying to do other things too trying to like cram all the movies in and um <laughs> um so i'm like you know i need to do some chores and stuff like that but every i couldn't even do them because every second i'm just like did, like coming yeah. back i'm like holy did, shit you know like did, did you put your tv on De Palma mode and watch two <laughs> movies <laughs> no, I split diopter viewing <laughs> That's awesome. That's I might try to do that now. <coughs> Moving forward. Yeah, watch Wicked Wicked. Yeah. <laughs> it does uh, it for you. Watch Wicked Wicked on four screens. <laughs> wow. That um I it was really nice to see Christopher Lee as the monster because I I'm, I'm not as well versed with all of these movies as Joe and John are. So my knowledge of Christopher Lee is he's usually a bad guy that talks right. and right. is pretty charismatic and proper. Yes. So seeing him as a mutant monster resuscitated zombie guy was pretty spot on and fun. He's still the best Dracula in my book. Agreed. In those Dracula movies, does he talk much? No. He the- talks less and less as they go on. In the in the first one, he only has like two or three lines. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. And he's then, mostly like just presence. And, and then by like the third one, he says like four words through the <laughs> right. whole movie. That's a fun way to do that. And part of that is, I think they had at times would like write more for him to say, and he was just so uh, not into what they wrote. Or the fact that the, he was still making them at that point, that he just would refuse to say certain things that they wrote. Amazing. There was one, I know one of them, he doesn't have any lines at all. But there was another one where he didn't want to do it. And one guy from Hammer went up to his place and was like, we hired all these people uh, to do this movie. And you're saying no, and they're all going to be out of a job. And they guilt tripped them into doing it. I forget which one it was. Damn. Yeah. Um, wow. He also plays the mummy. Yes. In the Hammer adaptation. Oh, of cool. The mummy. I heard that actually Christopher Lee hated this movie. He thought it was too gruesome and like refused. That's why he didn't show up for the other one. Because the UK must have been a really neutered place in the fifties. It, it, it was. Um, I know. Also, you know who plays uh, the monster in the last one? Hmm. David Prowse, the guy who plays Darth Vader. Oh, wow, cool. Yeah, another Star Wars. You know, I had to buckle in there because I was getting ready for a Doctor Who reference I wouldn't understand. No. <laughs> oh. No, that's the next movie. <laughs> yeah, actually, uh, a note for any of these movies, for both of them, is where is the Doctor Who reference? 
I might try to start finding them myself. Well, I mean, so I if we if we it. have to have it, Peter Cushing plays Doctor Who in the in the Doctor Who movies. Yeah, that's it. They're not canon. They're no, hammer. They're, they're not. They're, that's very good, Ryan. You're right. <laughs> Thank you. I'm learning. Ryan is learning. They're actually amicus, not hammer. Oh, I'm yeah, learning I I more yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, if we have to. <laughs> Don't worry. I won't throw whoever taught me that under the bus. Yeah, that was. I always thought they were hammer too for some reason. Well, um, good. What what are what are the standout moments in this movie for everyone? Um, like every Hammer movie, it's just the atmosphere of a Hammer yeah. movie. Oh. Every Hammer movie feels like a Hammer flick. And the laboratory I, I, is cool, right? And I can just like they're like comfort food to me. <laughs> like like Hammer movies go with like Italian horror movies, where like mm. it doesn't like it doesn't even matter if they're not that good. I can just sit back on my couch. There's a style and involved, exactly. Yeah. They have a certain. That's the best thing about Hammer movies. Like if I had like a production crew. And I texted the leader. I was like, I want a hammer set tomorrow morning. <laughs> I know exactly pretty much what I'm going to walk <laughs> into. Yeah. <laughs> Joe, what about you? What's your favorite stuff? I would agree with the atmosphere. Um, truth be told, Curse of Frankenstein, as much a- a- as I like it, it's actually not one of my favorites of the Frankenstein series. I like the the later entries. Because um, what, what John said about the uh how the second and third one are the second one is revenge yes and then the third one is evil is evil right and they're okay they're you're, I, I enjoy it. it's been years since i've seen either one of them and then frankenstein must created be woman created woman and that okay yeah. so that's where it picks up because yeah those three are like the great ones right um frankenstein created woman has this plot um where this guy gets murdered I'm, I'm going to give you a quick rundown because it's also been a long time since I've seen it. But his brain is put into his dead girlfriend. So he uses his, his girlfriend's body to lure these murderers and kill them. Into So it has this like weird well, twisted erotica. Yeah. yeah. Joe, what were you just saying? I was basically just parroting I realized what John said like 10 minutes ago. So that supports my hunch that these movies get better as they go yes. in the sense of like they probably push the envelope a little further yes. They learn what the audience well, is really looking for. Well, there's a time period um, in like the later era of the Hammer horror movies when they become aware of movies like Night of the Living Dead and Witchfinder General where they're like, okay, we need to kind of like, like up the ante. Right on. But like, then they don't do it enough. They don't do it. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, I can understand why. There's still something, uh, I, I, like something English about them where they do not want to go as, you know, like an American has to make something like Night of the Living Dead. Yeah, not we're, to, we're not to be nationalist, up. but we're... America. Yeah, like... <laughs> well, I mean, it, it, it's reasonable to say that different cultures produce different material based that, on and the like, social structures also, and dynamics And also on. where America itself was at the time of Night of the Living Dead it, yeah. had a lot to do with it. It really did. Um, it's good to set live stuntmen on fire. Hell yeah. Yes. This yes. movie does that. That's yes. fun. And throws them through a window. Yeah. That was really good. I love the part. It's just a little part where... Frankenstein's monsters hanging on a meat hook, and Frankenstein just looks at him. He's like, "I'll give you life again soon." Like it's such a oh fucking yeah, cool. <laughs> and that was right after uh, what's the uh, partner's name? Paul. Paul. Oh yeah, the Where voice the, of reason, quote yeah. unquote reason. He just thought he's like, "We just killed it, we <laughs> yeah, buried it, it's same. done," and he just like closes the door, and he's like, "Soon, buddy, <laughs> soon." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, going back to like how gruesome this movie is for how early it is. Um, 
and I just want to talk about this part where uh, they invite the professor uh, oh, to yes. the house and Frankenstein needs a brain right, and, right, um, right. to put in his monster. And um, and he's like the sweetest old man. He's like super smart, super sweet, and he's just like happy to be invited somewhere <laughs> and like with, to be able to talk with people. And he's like telling Dr. Frankenstein about this. And then you, I for a minute I kind of thought it would sway him the other way, but he's like, no, nope, nope. needs, needs that experiment <laughs> done. And he just was like, whatcha? And just pushes him. And like the way the professor falls down, it's not just like a typical like, like you know, kind of like off screen, like woo, like they yeah. show his like face smash <laughs> yeah, against yeah. the ground. That, uh, was that a stunt person or a body? That's probably it. I thought it was dummy, dummy or something. Yeah. Whatever it is, the head hits the ground <laughs> yeah. really hard. You know, they couldn't plan that part. That's just the wonder of the stunt going that way. Yeah, they're like, yep, use it. Uh, bam! Mm-hmm. This, you know, the movie's coming to an end when that trope gets deployed, where they're on the roof. Yes, and like yeah, the showdown yeah. has happened, and we've made it to the roof and i love how the monster like conveniently dissolves in acid and it just leaves frankenstein with no evidence everybody thinks he's a murderer and he's gonna get guillotined so there's something really funny that happens when the frankenstein's monster the creature lands in the acid after being on fire okay that's the stunt person on fire crashes through the window and lands the stunt where they land in the water the water acid. being what it is, yeah, but yeah. acid being what it's right, supposed yeah. to be. Right, right, right. Whoever that is immediately starts flailing as the cross dissolve begins. So it's a stunt person coming out of a stunt like, ah! Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it works for the movie because it's supposed yeah. to be somebody on acid. But the whole time Frankenstein's creature <laughs> cannot move that way in the rest of the movie. So if it if were to subscribe to that ideology and that belief. I, I think having the acid on his body probably made it probably prompted so him to like move a different way. A little more. Yeah, like I'm not that. You know, in reality, it is a person on fire yeah. then hitting the water and the water not helping. But I'm just <laughs> saying, like, on in reality, like when I'm at work. And I have to get to a table really quickly. I'm not really moving that fast because I don't feel like doing it. Because you're not lit on fire. Exactly. <laughs> but if I if I fell in acid, I would definitely move quicker than I usually do. But if you were on fire, you'd also be moving quicker than you yes, normally do. Right. Frankenstein's monster is on fire well, well, before falling well, into okay, the so acid. Okay, so Frankenstein's monster is like, all right, this is fire. It's not as bad. <laughs> as my predecessor Frankenstein monster thought from the 30s <laughs> and then he's like acid holy shit they upped it for this fucking <laughs> adaptation and holy god this shit sucks oh uh, yeah well then why did they give us the cross dissolve so early <laughs> either way it cracked me up acid bad so we got three thumbs up and a thumb middling middling no, I'm going to give it a thumbs down. I thoroughly oh, did Jesus. not enjoy this Whoa. movie. Jesus and, fucking God. Why did I invite you to do this? <laughs> because cause you need somebody to high road. But I, I see it as really going to lead to some cool shit. Yeah. And yeah. I, I recognize that. And you I haven't see the watched movement. too many Hammer movies, right? No. Neither have I, actually. I need to get on that. I'm, I'm giddy for the Dracula series. Joe, what do you prefer, the Dracula or the Frankensteins? I personally prefer the Draculas, but I would say that the later Frankensteins are probably the overall best if we're matching like pound for pound. Right, because I think the best Dracula is the first one. Yes, the best Dra- Dracula, like 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 Frankenstein, arguably ascends after a point, whereas the Dracula movies start to decline mm. fairly quickly. Yeah, I mean, all of them are fun up until. 
uh, Dracula AD. Which is not to say that, that the, one sounds cool. Though. That the later ones are at all bad. Like they're all in- enjoyable, but it's just like Horror of Dracula is a very high note to start off on, and then Brides of Dracula, which Christopher Lee is not in, is still really good. And then th- there's a big gap in time between. Uh, when Christopher Lee comes back, his P- Dracula Prince of Darkness isn't until 66. Right. And Dracula Prince of Darkness, if you can just kind of slog your way through, like, the first half of the movie, because not really a whole lot happens, it pays off in the end. And that is really good. And then, again, another, like, slight, like, step down overall in quality with, like, has risen from the grave and... uh Taste the Blood of Dracula, I would right. say, are about the same. And then when we get to... Taste the Blood is the only one I've seen. Okay. When we get to... Um, Linda Hayden. Um, Scars <laughs> of Dracula is like the most gruesome Hammer movie. Yes, which comes... That comes before A.D., right? Yeah, yeah. The, A.D. And, right. and Satanic. Because that's when they when like a lot yeah. of franchise, fran- uh, franchise fans consider the series Jump the Shark. Because he's... Dracula yeah, and Scars of Dracula is them ki- kind of hitting the reset button. Oh, okay. Sort right, of. Right, right. And then AD and Satanic Rites, which both take place in modern day. Yeah, those it, names it, sound so cool. Yeah, they do have all... They they are fun, but they are definitely... Like, we are a long way from the gothic grandeur right. of, of the older movies by that point. Right, but we're not constrained by virtually no budget on a studio that's collapsing, right? We get bigger oh, camera no, no, shots, no, it goes, we get it goes, people... No, it goes full circle. Full circle? Yeah, where Damn. it starts going, like, all right... We're, we're back to, yeah. Yeah, which is what I was saying. Like, ultimately, what ended up saving them at the end of the 50s is what ends up... Uh, also killing them the when the last 70s right. Dracula movie, however, uh, doesn't have Christopher Lee. It is Legend of the Seven Golden Vampires. That is true. Which is, is the Shaw Brothers. I want to see hammered. that. It is great. It still it has done Peter Cushing, too. What did we do Legend of the Seven Vampires with? People Who Own the Dark. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was definitely... Ooh, yeah, yeah that was a nightmare for you to edit. <laughs> yeah. Why? Well, I... What happened? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That that was a uh, we we had a lot of false starts and <laughs> just I remember it being bedlam. Okay, actually, I don't even remember that, so I'll take your word for it. Okay. Well, so Andrew has erased it from his memory. <laughs> Three like thumbs up, things. one thumbs down for this one. Yes. <laughs> Brilliant genius. All right. Thank you. I appreciate that. We will be back after a word from our network. You're listening to the Prescribed Films Podcast Network, home to hundreds of hours of free podcast entertainment. The shows on this network all have a common goal, providing you with the best discussions about movies and other forms of entertainment media. The PFPN hopes to fill your ear holes with audio joy. Visit our website with links to all the other amazing shows at www.thepfpn.com. Thanks for listening. All right, Joe, why don't you tell the folks at home all about Asylum? Dr. Martin arrives at an asylum for the incurably insane to interview for a position. 
There he learns that he must see four patients and determine which is the recently insane Dr. Star to get the job. Nothing like placing a bet to earn the job of your career field. <laughs> yes. You're a studied, well-studied, educated, collegiate person, and you need to play a guessing game to yeah. <laughs> get your new seat. I swear there was a part in the beginning where they said something about, oh, he doesn't play games. Like, the, the main doctor who's doing the hiring is like, this whole thing is a game, but right? He, just, <laughs> he doesn't play board games. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. I like the beginning. I like the first two stories. And then the third story is absolutely forgettable. And then the fourth story is kind of What was cute. the third story? Exactly. <laughs> Joe, third, what, what was the third story? The third story was what's her face, right? With the uh, with the uh, oh, with the blonde like yeah, yeah. Lucy, yeah. Lucy, yeah. The the last one Lucy. though with the with the weird toy things that are walking around. All <laughs> oh, don't be afraid. The dark style was, was yes. really cute. That one had a fun name. It was the something mannequins. Mannequins of horror, right? Man- was it mannequin? Mannequin something. I think it's mannequins of horror, but it could be. There's the first I, one though. Frozen fear with the severed limbs all moving around, and the fact that I think that they're wrapped up in paper in that like paper machine where they look like like the color of like Doctor Freudstein, yeah, like wax yeah. paper. Yeah, makes them yeah. so fucking like much more creeper <laughs> than if they were like severed limbs. Yeah, that was meat wrapping paper from like yeah. a butcher shop. Right, right, that was such a cool visual. Yeah, it looked so cool when the head, the severed head, like breathes, and you see the paper crinkle. <laughs> is 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 like the is the creepiest moment of the whole entire movie. All of the when they're all all the limbs and stuff are in a pile on each other in a freezer. That just looks horrifying, <laughs> and there's no blood. And right, it, it's, right. I like the torso stump, just like yeah. just moving. <laughs> the uh, <laughs> the uh, cut up lady. Uh, her character's name is Ruth. Uh, she was in a little t- uh, television show I like called Doctor Who. In the, <laughs> the last season of the classic era, she was in an episode called Ghost Light, where the seventh Doctor and Ace end up in. All right, I'm just go. It's just getting cut anyway. Go ahead. Let's keep going. I don't think any of the Doctor <laughs> Who stuff gets cut. Yeah, I don't cut the Doctor Who stuff. Uh, that was a joke for me not to have to go on. Okay. Oh. Yeah. Well, then enough said. Yeah. All right. That's the whole thing's going to get do, cut now. Are we, are we doing the... Look what you did. You just reversed it. No. No, you can cut it from there where you like just cut a sound effect in and just keep going. <laughs> <laughs> are we doing a thing where you add the TARDIS sound to what I made the Doctor Who reference? Oh, if you can get me that sound clip, I can, oh, I can yeah. make that a good yeah. thing. totally get that. Yeah. You can so, definitely get that from YouTube. Like YouTube, tar- like TARDIS sound. Okay. <laughs> I'll add that to my list. It's, they're called dimensional stabilizers. Come on. <laughs> All four of the stories. <laughs> you just adjusted your glasses there. <laughs> um, Robert Block did did the screenplay, and they're all from four of his four uh, right right those short stories. Robert Block wrote for Amicus quite a bit. Uh, Doctor Terror's House of Horrors, which I watched recently, which was not that good, but it has a very young, strapping, dashing Donald Sutherland in it. Well, um, what does? Uh, Dr. Terror's House of Horrors. Oh, okay. Um, so Robert Block is a name that I've learned from you guys saying it a bunch. Mm-hmm. Who, who, break down Robert Block's career for me. Robert Block was the youngest man to write for Weird Tales, the pulp horror... Um, Magazine? Yes, that 
featured most prominently the works of H.P. Lovecraft. Not most prominently, like that was the one that was in there the most, but Lovecraft's material was frequently featured. Yeah, in. like most and of his Robert stuff e. was Howard there for there. And yeah. Clark Ashton Smith. Right. And did, he, did, did Conan's stuff come from, from yes. Weird Tales? Okay. Yes. Uh, Robert, or, uh, uh, Robert E. Howard was actually Lovecraft's favorite of the group. Um, but not Robert Block. Robert Block came later. He was a lot younger. He was a kid. Yeah, he like, like literally he he was a teenager right. when That's he wild. started yeah. contributing. And and uh, um HP Lovecraft actually kind of like had like a little bit of a mentor like older buddy kind of thing with Robert Block. Oh, no kidding. Like they would write and then they also started like taking like little like good-natured jabs at each other in stories. Right. The the um whenever there was a racist old wizard in a story <laughs> of Robert Block, so right. it's definitely Robert Block Lovecraft. had a character named after or like loosely characterized by H.P. Lovecraft and then Lovecraft did the same thing for Haunter of the Dark, where it was like Robert Blake, Blake or, yeah. was it? Oh, wow. Not to be confused by the actor, Robert Blake, who killed his wife wife, and was in... Uh, Lost Highway? Lost Highway, and uh, what's the... Magnum P.I.? Electric... Um, Beretta. Beretta, Beretta, the other kind of gun. What's the fucking... <laughs> why can't... Oh, I'm flipping out the one. He was in the... Um, the what's the Truman Capote fucking... In Cold Blood. Yes. He's great in that. And another one where he's the motorcycle cop. I mean, the name's... Chips? No. It's a movie. Um, Electric Glide and Blue or something like that. Okay. That's a cool flick. Well, so Robert Block, uh, what what else did he write? He was he, got he wrote Psycho. That's well, he wrote it. the novel Psycho. Psycho. Yeah, his, his main claim to fame is that he wrote Psycho. Yes. Jeez. The novel, not the not the screenplay. And he's a Midwesterner guy, right? Yes. He's, a, he's, he's from Wisconsin, hence why he was close to the Ed Gein story. No kidding. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you guys know a lot about Robert Block. Yeah, I, I, I really like Robert, Robert Block. Blockheads. Yeah. Oh, hey, I had that written <laughs> down. You don't get to say that. <laughs> I'm cutting that out. I'm saying it again. Uh, I even made that joke at you when we were. God damn, Andrew! Wait, high did, five, air air five for that. Did you make that joke? I don't remember. Yeah, that. I was I was pretty hungover when we watched this. Okay, so Robert Block clearly is is a horror maestro from from this era. There's there's a great one. I can't remember the title. It's in um his his collection of stories called Such Stuff as Screams Are Made Of. That's an awesome title. And. Uh, it's a guy, he, he breaks his car down, his car breaks down, and it's getting f- uh, fixed up, and he stays in this cheap little motel. And it's littered with uh, all this stuff from, like, Vegas shows. And the guy who runs it is, like, a, was, like, a big Vegas performer or something like that. I want to say Vegas. I could be wrong. It's been years since I read this. And he has this pretty young girl working for him, and he treats her like like trash. And... He, you can tell he's just bitter that his career's over. He's just like a sad man. Well, the drifter whose car breaks down and the young girl kind of fall for each other. And he's like, when my car's fixed, you're coming with me. We're fucking racing out of here. So he goes and gets his car after the guy, the mechanic tells him it's fixed. And he drives up and he goes in and the girl is sitting on the couch with the guy. And she tells him, I'm sorry. I'm not going with you. I don't love you. I'm staying here. And the guy's really depressed, and he walks away. And he's like, you know, they were sitting really weird together. 
um, they were so close on the couch when she was telling me that she wanted me to leave. And he looks up and he realizes that this Vegas performer's big thing was he was a ventriloquist. So he killed the girl, put his hands in her insides, and ventriloquist her. That was the ending. Yeah. That's a Robert Block that story. That was a Robert Block story. Wow. Isn't that a great story? Yeah. That's ahead of its time. When, when was that written? It had to be like 50s or 60s. You know what? That's a weird thing that I've noticed, and you probably, Joe and John, are much better read uh, on horror from that era, but I feel like there's so much more twisted, whack-ass, ahead-of-its-time shit in novels, novellas, short stories right. than there is in cinema of that era. Because Yeah, I think cinema was much more uh, uh, closely guarded and watched, yeah. while books had so many cheap publishers that you could get away you with stuff. You could get yeah. anything out there. Yeah, right. people just called that like smut, and, the, and they're like... Oh, right, yeah. right. Oh, it's just pulp trash, yeah. and nobody would touch it anyway except for the people like us who would read w- it. W- which is funny because H.P. Lovecraft, when asked by somebody about... Oh, wouldn't it be funny if one of your stories got made into a movie and he said that he would refuse any offer because he felt that uh, cinema was, quote-unquote, infantile twaddle. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I can't wait to see The Color Out of Space. Which, which to, to, to be fair, there were movies that he liked a lot. I forget what it was, but there was some sci-fi movie from the 20s that he like went and saw like 10 times in a row. <laughs> trip to the moon no but it was something i, I can't remember i wish <laughs> i the teens, we, right? what oh my mistake <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> yo andrew's so. first smug moment on show. <laughs> <laughs> what um okay so asylum w- what's going on w- who's what's what does everybody feel about all the shorts we got four the first two i love the yeah. uh I agree. It is front loaded, but the back end does the the back end combined with the conclusion of the wraparound story brings it home. The, 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 the creepy one with Peter Cushing in the very bespoke uh, suit. Oh yeah, I love. That I kind of wish that was a little. <laughs> Don't fucking laugh at me, Joe. But the bespoke Don't. suit. Shut up! Stop. <laughs> what is a bespoke suit? <laughs> it's a suit that was specifically tailored or constructed in a, fair, in a in a manner for somebody. Wow. You won't get that joke, Joe. Will some of our listeners might too, but that's on a different. That I'll explain it later. Okay. It's not a Doctor Who reference. No, it is not a Doctor Who reference. No. That was my. Favorite. Although my Doctor Who references sometimes are you know bespoke for the show. <laughs> that was my favorite short. Was the the weird tailor. Yeah, yeah, I think it's, it's cool, yeah. I, and it's it goes sad. in a direction that I don't expect. I thought we were going to see it put on the dead sun, and it was going to get like really creepy and stuff. But no, it ends up on the fucking mannequin. mannequin. Yeah, of all things. Yeah, that that one. And, and 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 what I really like about that. Okay, so we should probably explain the stories a little bit. I mean, sure. We, okay. yeah, this is an anthology movie. If for some reason people oh, yeah. listening yeah. haven't yeah. seen yeah. this, so which Amicus were were very you know known for. So we we talked about the first one uh, a little bit. Uh, wife um, is uh, it's mentioned she's into voodoo. Like she she is actually taught by somebody. And the husband wants uh, out of the relationship and has a plan to kill her, get out of the way, and go off with his mistress. But, of course, the voodoo would say otherwise. Yes. And, you know, she gets chopped up, but her, the pieces of her body end up coming back to life and coming after 
uh, him and then later the 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 mistress uh, who is the one that is in the she she survives and she's the one who's in the suite. I refuse to say uh, uh, cell or anything of, of the inside. It looks like a suite. Yeah, like, yeah. It's it's very like uh, an apartment kind of. Yeah, so. like a very nice posh like apartment Not, in the hospital. Yes, in the quote unquote asylum. She's the narrator of this yarn. Yes. Uh. So in the second one. We have the tailor who is, uh, you know, when we meet him, he's kind of sitting there on his table. Like, cross-legged. Cross-legged. And he's um, mending a suit that isn't really there. And he tells the story of uh, he's going to get evicted from his from his building because he's not getting a lot of customers because nobody's coming for fine tailoring yeah. anymore. No one's buying any suits. And... Uh, Peter Cushing shows up with a crazy proposition for this weird material that he has and has very specific requirements for the suit. Seemingly an aristocrat looking for some sort of astrology suit made during all the right times. Yes. And uh, he's going to pay handsomely for it. So That's a very bespoke item. So the t- Shut the fuck up. I'm going to have to explain the joke behind it. <laughs> Later. So, so the tailor... Uh, with pretty much zero questions, it's just like, yes, please, because he needs the money. So he makes the suit. He goes to deliver the suit and finds out that uh, Peter Cushing's character is actually also uh, hard up for money. Uh-uh. But explains to him that when he puts the suit on the sun, which until now we don't know that the sun is dead in a casket in the next room... He just says when his son comes back, he will be able to, I guess, like there's some sort of uh, hold. I, I, it's not really fully explained, but you just get the idea that it's some red tape stuff. So uh, Taylor Guy and Peter Cushing end up fighting because Taylor Guy is creeped the fuck out when he sees what's going on. And the fact that Peter Cushing has no money and... Peter Cushing uh, had pulled out a gun and was telling him to give him the suit and get shot in the get face. shot in the heat of battle. And the tailor goes back to his place and he's telling the wife burn the suit. And you know we have to like we never saw that guy. We don't know anything about it. Nothing. She puts the suit on the mannequin. Just a weird little mannequin that's been there just in the background the whole yes. time. Was his name Otto, the mannequin? Yes, she named the mannequin Otto. Chekhov's mannequin. <laughs> um, so when he's yelling at her about burning the suit, he's telling her that Peter Cushing's character is dead and that he accidentally shot him and we have to get the fuck out of here because no one's ever going to believe what happened. And she's telling him, you should go to the cops which he absolutely should not because no one is going to believe him. And he's like, she's insisting that he go and they start fighting and he kind of starts getting physical with her, like not necessarily violent, but he's kind of like, you know, got his hands on her shoulder and he's like, you know, kind of like, you know, shaking, shaking her, her. Like, like, you know, like we can't, like it has to be this way. We can't, we, we, we can't go to the police. Like we can't tell anybody. Well, the suit, which was, had been intended to bring the son back to life brings the mannequin to life who then sees his friend the uh the the the, the wife of, of of the tailor who's been you know kind of like almost talking to him like was it his wife or his daughter 
I thought it was a wife. Maybe. It just seemed pretty young for him. Yeah. Yeah, well. It's the time, different time. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, that wouldn't stop me today. Well, the, 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 so the mannequin sees his friend that's been talking to him for his whole existence in, in the shop getting manhandled by somebody and goes over to save the day and, you know, it, like, ends up choking him. But what's really creepy in that moment to me, aside from just, like, the makeup and the suit looking very weird, is how he seems happy that he's saving the day. Yeah. He's got this... has a dumb smiley face. Yes, he has this really creepy, almost good-natured, like, child smile as he's doing it. He's like, I've been wanting to do this. I know. For 30 years. (laughs) (laughs) Also, the suit is is like a Technicolor. Yeah, it's like glowing. Glowing, color changing. Definitely what the Technicolor dream coat was. That's that's right. Yeah. But yeah, that, that one... Is totally my favorite. I like the Taylor, but he like whines throughout the entire. Uh, yes, song. I, I think yeah. that's just kind of his voice, yeah, honestly. Like, we have yeah. to burn it. <laughs> and then there's the third story, uh, which is basically about nothing. Which brings us I to the fourth remember. story. Yeah, thank you. It's just, <laughs> it's just basically <laughs> someone suffering. Like it's a split personality yeah. story, but is it? But you don't know. Yeah, yeah. No, also, it's a woman. Who cares? With, uh, a woman with a. Split personality disorder and Excuse a little me. bit of gaslighting going on, Excuse and uh, the end. Yeah, and she kills people. Uh, <laughs> Herbert Alam from Mark of the Devil making creepy, weird <laughs> dolls that he Astro projects into the murder. Yeah. Patrick McGee is uh, really cute. I yeah. wonder why well, he fun. made uh, little robots with all of his colleagues' faces on. Yeah, I, yeah. I wonder about that too. And, and I what also guts were inside them. And more, more importantly, where does he get items to sculpt all these things when he's locked up in a mental institution? Well, it seems like it's a highly functioning institution yeah. where everybody gets a nice pad to live in. But and still, like you're still not supposed to have like your shoes, so you can't hang yourself with the laces objects. or a sharp object, yeah. especially when you want to murder people. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> but yes, he explains that he's going to. Um, he has one that he's made in the likeness of himself, and he's going to project himself into the robot doll thing one day and he's going to walk out of there and go take care of business mm-hmm. which he does which he does by staring at it. <laughs> yes there's such a great moment when the robot machine toy is walking down the hallway mm-hmm. it's just carefully dodging people like staff yeah i suppose yeah and it reaches a door and then it just kind of cuts to the d- <laughs> doll is appears to be maybe levitating or has already made it up the door and we're just zooming out from it. But it's a very funny image that just, you know, they don't answer a problem or a question that the movie might present to yeah. the viewers. <laughs> just skip that part. Yeah. Okay. Now, at this point, Andrew, had you seen Asylum before? No. Ryan, had you seen Asylum before? No. John, you had seen Asylum yes. before, correct? Yeah. Okay. Ryan and Andrew first. At this moment, did you have a guess about what was going on when we get to the the when we have to when Dr. Martin returns back and we see the result of the um the robot doll killing the doctor that is in the office who he first meets when he gets there did you 
have any any guess as to which one of the people was the doctor that they talked about at the beginning yes i going into the fourth story the, the mannequin one that didn't have any mannequins and was only full of toys yes uh <laughs> the i thought that that was the doctor that they were talking about at the beginning of the movie okay so i suspended my disbelief enough right for it to get to where it was okay i thought it was the orderly um just because i for whatever reason had this like thought that like his room was the room with like the four rooms or something like that and he was just like walking into this guy's story or something like that it was weird like i thought it was the orderly and then i thought i was wrong because when he called him he's like oh dr baron star or byron star i was like oh i'm dumb and then <laughs> did you think sure. did anybody think of like a shutter island type thing where he was the crazy person mm. well what what, yeah. what what upon your viewing the the first time did you pick up on what was going on no no i just i just kind of like knew there was going to be the twist because i'd seen so many of these movies that of course there was going to like they were not going to have this uh, they're not going to have an anthology movie with a guy walking around the mental institution as the book ends without there being some kind of like ironic horror twist. Right. Totally. Yeah. Also, if we can go back for a minute, when he's going, uh, when, when when he first gets there and he talks to the the doctor from from uh, from Mask of the Red Death, who, the, whose name I can't think Patrick of. McGee is is that his name? The guy the, in the wheel, the guy from yeah, Clockwork Orange. Yes. Yeah, okay. Patrick McGee. He's in Zulu. He's in a lot of shit. He's in Tales from the Crypt. He's in Tales from the Crypt, yes. He's in the, he's in the blind Rogers, one. Yeah. Sir. <laughs> um, <laughs> he's great. I love him. But I like when when he's getting ready to go, you know, take the challenge and figure out who it is, and he says something about the doctor, you know, like he refers to him him as he and the and the the Patrick McGee says, "Like, what makes you so sure that the doctor isn't a woman?" Oh yeah. And then there's like this, like real, like weird, like uncomfortable moment between them. A gotcha moment. Yeah. And then we, you know, then eventually we see, like, oh, there are there there's two women that could potentially be be the doctor. But um, okay, so my for speaking for 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 myself, I did not see the the twist coming that the orderly was the doctor so we get the reveal the doctor <laughs> stop it you okay okay heal um <laughs> we we find that the orderly well we we see a man is in one of the rooms and has been strangled and dr martin you know is talking to the orderly and the orderly reveals that the name of the man who is laying there strangled is the name of the orderly and then the reality hits in that oh the orderly is not so orderly is not so orderly <laughs> and is in fact the insane doctor star who then strangles dr martin and then very creepily puts the 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 stethoscope on the heart and starts listening to the dead heart and starts laughing in the most <laughs> the evil way his manner face possible. Is great. Yes, I could see a, a sequel to the Joker movie existing as uh, an anthology movie that 
is in this world. John, based was on that this. laugh sampled by someone? Okay, you noticed that too. Yes, like, I could not you? put my okay. finger on where I knew it from. Okay, as as long as I'm not the only one, okay. I, I, we'll have to like do some digging. Yes, I mean if we could find that Doctor Jekyll's Dungeon of Torture <laughs> had had was sampled by Ghoul, we can find a sample for this. <laughs> Hey, this was an Amicus production, wasn't it? Yes. yes, and to get back to what I was saying when we did Frankenstein, Max Rosenberg and Milton Sabotsky, yes, um, who brought up the idea of doing Frankenstein to Hammer, went on to create Amicus, which means friendship in Latin, and Aww. they became That's adorable. England's second horror production company or studio. The main competition to Hammer. Yes. And what's funny is both Max and Milton are from the United States. Oh, yeah. Right. But yeah, their their, their anthology films are the ones that are they're most famous for. Tales they from do, the Crypt. Yeah. Vault of Horror. Mm-hmm. Uh, this. Um, oh, I know there's another one. Uh, it's Beyond the Grave. Beyond the from, Grave. From, from Beyond, Beyond the, the Grave. grave. Yes. Yeah. But they did also, uh, what did we cover last, what, last October? The Werewolf one. And now the screaming starts. That's not the werewolf one. It isn't? No. Uh, it's the one Peter Cushing's in that, right? Yes. Um, fuck, yeah. Wolf. Werewolf. Like American Werewolf in London. A were-what? <laughs> A werewolf. The Beast Must Die. There. The Beast uh, Must Die, yes. We did that with two other movies that I can't remember. 13 Ghosts and... City of the Dead. City, City of the of Dead, Dead. was it? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, which, we, we, which, we which was also... Which was pre-Amicus... Um, amicus oh yes it was because it's max it, rosenberg right yeah, yeah. and, and sabotsky was involved wow in that, that well. they're they're that that's their best movie and it's not even amicus yet that's funny <laughs> um uh their eye monster was another one i'm just naming amicus. i've never seen eye monster uh we, we can have a date night and we'll watch it together okay hey does anyone have a favorite anthology horror movie oh. i'm probably gonna have to go with creep show same yeah yeah Joe, you're going to name some fuck. You're going to say Tales from the Crypt, which I'm going to support heavily because I know. He's yeah, it's guy. Tales from the Crypt, and it's it's pro- that's easily my second one. Oh wait, no, it's not. Well, first of all, Black you're Sabbath. wrong. That's not your favorite one. Black Sabbath's your favorite anthology. Art. Oh shit! I don't think of it in the same way though. It is an anthology. I mean, art. yeah, I mean, it is true, but it it's not. I I don't know. Black Sabbath is just such like I love Black Sabbath art, but it's the drop of water segment that does it for me. Oh, I it's enjoy one of the best. Yeah, creepy I, ghost monster people. I saw that in the theater at a Bava retrospective in New York with my buddy Dylan. Jealous. And people were in the theater that had never seen it before were creeped out by it. Like that one. Like everybody it, like enjoyed it, the whole movie, it, but they were like, and, whoa. And, and and Mario Bava even knew it himself because it, Tim Lucas on the commentary on the disc mentions that when looking back, like he was like talking to somebody, and and he said that the drop of water was the most technically perfect thing that he had done, yeah. in his career. That wax mask they use for the dead lady is fucking. It's frightening, eerie. It's very frightening. It is. It's so good. It's such classic Italian gothic horror. Well, cool. We got two creep shows and a Tales from the Crypt. Not a Black Sabbath. I'm gonna say my second's Black Sabbath over Tales from the Crypt. Okay. But Tales of Crypt is the third one. You know, I think I might I might say Tales from the Crypt for for my favorite. But I know Creepshow Two is really close to me, and I know you hate it. 
I only like the the lake. The, the, raft. the raft. The raft. I like thanks thanks for the ride, lady, the hitcher. Um, oh my god. You know what's funny about the 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 lake one? Not only is it a better one, um, is the only one where it doesn't fit the EC comic mold. Where it's not like a moral tale where like somebody does something wrong in there that now they must right. be punished. Yeah, they just all get it, yeah, killed by Yeah, it's just like it's just like a well, oh. well I, I actually they they do do something wrong. Some people do get punished, but the protagonist definitely rapes a woman when she's unconscious. <laughs> she, yeah, oh, so yeah, he, he, yeah. she needs to bite it after that for sure. Right. But then they, they all They also make the crucial the classic uh trope of smoking weed. They all they all oh, get high yeah. and they go well, on the raft. Damn, well, fuck them. Yeah, they should go to hell for that one. <laughs> yeah, and, God and I think damn, the, the, Devil's Weed. That one is Devil's actually weed. is a Stephen King short story. Yes, it is. I've read it. It's good. Yeah, I remember reading it as a child. It's different, but it's well because in the it's, I've been saying this all night, but it's been years. But I remember when you look at the glob blob thing, mm-hmm. it like starts to sparkle and you get kind of hypnotized mm-hmm. by it. I remember that. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. That one's terrified me as a kid. Yeah, me yeah. too. It yeah. scared the shit. I would. Ha- that yeah. was one of those movies I had to dare myself to watch. Whereas, like, I was always able to watch Tales from the Crypt and enjoy it. And I think yeah. I didn't understand some of the darker connotations in it yeah. because I had a child brain at that time. Yeah. But Creep Show too, the raft scared the fuck out of me all the time, every yeah. time. Jaws like made me scared of like the ocean and then ultimately all water, but. The raft, I remember, like made me terrified of the lake. Mm-hmm. Water terrifies me in general, but you know what's made me terrified mm-hmm. of the, of lakes and stuff? Lake Placid. No, all those fucking stories that's been coming out where people go swimming in lakes and then a brain amoeba eats their brain. Oh, oh yeah, it gets in their Jesus ear. Jesus Christ! I think about that shit all the time now. Yeah. I'm like, I would be able yeah. to. And the, the other happened thing, in Disney World. Yeah, yeah. And and another thing is like every time I save a snapping turtle off the road, it fucking like goes yes. at me. And I'm like that thing could definitely take a toe off. Yeah, you can step on that. that. Yeah. You can step on that for right, real. Right, right. Yeah. And I'm not fucking like fuck that. I don't need to be in the. I need to take a shower and drink a glass of water every day, and then I'm good with water. You know, I've I've heard I'm going to avoid rain now too. I feel like I heard on uh, another podcast that they have blobs showing up on beaches that melt people's skin now, and that's a whole yeah. new thing. Yeah, that's fun. <laughs> we had um, they found like a big pile of medical waste floating through some Jersey Shore. Oh yeah, what was that like four or five years ago? Jeez. It's like well, the that's raft. Just par for the course. That's just New Jersey. Yeah, it's the raft, but instead of the random debris that the blob has in it, it's just all syringes. Yeah, it's wielding hypodermic needles <laughs> like. Ah! Oh God! Uh, All right, the moment has come. Curse of Frankenstein versus Asylum. Curse. Yeah, for sure. Curse. For sure. I'm going with Asylum. I'm going with Asylum. God, we are split. We didn't. We didn't do a thumbs up or thumbs down for this. Yeah, it's all four thumbs up. Yeah, yeah. It's a slight thumb. Like I like the first two. The other two couldn't. Okay, so your thumb sideways. Maybe. Yeah, I enjoy. I enjoy. It's definitely. It's definitely closer to up than down. Right. It's like at six instead of like at an eight. Okay. Cool. More and more like a 5.2. Okay. So 3.75 on the thumb scale and then two so versus two for the movies. Yeah. So Curse beats uh, um, Asylum, which it definitely should because it got three thumbs up. Uh, unfortunately, that's not how voting works. 
Well, uh, we live in a country where the guy who got the, didn't win the popular vote is the president. So, yeah, it kind of does now. I think it's kind of You, you just the proved air. my point. I kind of, I kind of. You just supported my no, inside I, of the argument, John. The no, I had it. The president did not have the popular vote. Correct. So I'm just saying, votes like it's it's kind of like uh, uh, the moral yes. of the story is that votes are bad. Yeah, they don't they don't mean anything anymore. <laughs> so in dead. my in my I, it's pretty much what I'm saying is it doesn't matter. I'm just going to wing it and I'm going to say Curse the Frankenstein. <laughs> Andrew is the better one. Contact oh. details. Uh, late night psychorama at gmail dot com. How do you spell night? N i t e. And then uh, same uh, same spelling for Instagram and Facebook. And then. Ellen Psychorama at uh, uh, on Twitter. Do we have a twi- twi- Twitter? Yeah, I just, just, fucking just said. said yeah, that. I was about to say Twitch, and then realized that was a video game man. Oh thing. yeah, <laughs> we should do a Twitch stream. <laughs> we <laughs> should. We should. It should be us playing like the Friday Thirteenth NES we'll, game. When Jared. we do that, we'll do a yeah, Twitch stream. Yeah. Jared would watch. Yeah. yeah, he would. We could live stream this on Instagram. I no we yeah <laughs> we watch it. no no but we would inherently just it would be put in front of people's faces whether they wanted it to or not. I couldn't do that. Too. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks. Have a blessed evening. Have a blessed evening. We'll see you next week. Good night. Good night. Good night.